Chapter Five of A Slave Is a Slave by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. I assume that you are agreed to accept the sovereignty of His Imperial Majesty. Good. As a matter of form, Lord Nicolon, will you take a vote? His Imperial Majesty would be most gratified if it were unanimous. Somebody insisted that the question would have to be debated, which meant that everybody would have to make a speech, all two thousand of them. He informed them that there was nothing to debate. They were confronted with an accomplished fact, which they must accept. So Nicolon made a speech, telling them at what a great moment in Adityan history they stood, and concluded by saying, I take it that it is the unanimous will of this convocation that the sovereignty of the Galactic Emperor be acknowledged, and that we, the Mastership of Aditya, do here proclaim our loyal allegiance to His Imperial Majesty Roderick III. Any dissent? Then it is ordered so recorded. Then he had to make another speech to inform the representatives of his new sovereign of the fact. Prince Trevanion, in the name of the Emperor, delivered the well-worn words of welcome, and Lons Degbrin got the coronet out of the black velvet bag under his arm, and the Imperial Proconsul, Obrey Count Erskel, was crowned. Erskel's charge d'affaires, Charles Ernaday, produced the scroll of the Imperial Constitution, and Erskel began to read. Section 1. The Universality of the Empire the absolute powers of the emperor, the rules of succession, the emperor also to be planetary king of Odin. Section 2. Every planetary government to be sovereign in its own internal affairs, only one sovereign government upon any planet, or within normal space travel distance. All hyperspace ships and all nuclear weapons, no planetary government shall make war, enter into any alliance, tax, regulate, or restrain interstellar trade or communication, every sapient being shall be equally protected. Then he came to Article Six. He cleared his throat, raised his voice, and read, There shall be no chattel slavery or serfdom anywhere in the Empire. No sapient being of any race whatsoever shall be the property of any being but himself. The convocation chamber was silent like a bomb with a defective fuse for all of thirty seconds. Then it blew up with a roar. Out of the corner of his eye he saw the door slide apart, and an airjeep, bristling with machine-guns, float in and rise to the ceiling. The first inarticulate roar was followed by a babble of voices, like a tropical cloud bursts on a prefab hut. Olvir Nicolon's mouth was working as he shouted unheard. He pressed another of the row of buttons on the arm of his chair. Out of the screen speaker, a voice, as loud by actual sound meter tests as an anti-vehicle gun, thundered, Silence! Into the shocked stillness which it produced, he spoke, like a schoolmaster who had returned to find his room in an uproar. Lord Nicolon, what is this nonsense? You are chairman of the Presidium. Is this how you keep order? What is this, a planetary parliament or a spaceport saloon? You tricked us, Nicolon accused. You didn't tell us about that article when we voted. Why, our whole society is based on slavery. Other voices joined in. That's all right for you people. You have robots. 
Maybe you don't know it, but there are twenty million slaves on this planet. Look, you can't free slaves. That's ridiculous. A slave's a slave. Who'll do the work? And who would they belong to? They'd have to belong to somebody. What I want to know, Rovard Javasan made himself heard, is how are you going to free them? There was an ancient word, originating in one of the lost languages of pre-atomic terror. Sixty-four. It meant the basic, fundamental question. Rovard Javasan, he suspected, had just asked the Sixty-Four. Of course, Obrey, Count Erskel, planetary proconsul of Aditya, didn't realize that. He didn't even know what Javasan meant. Just free them. Commodore Van Shetrak couldn't see much of a problem either. He would have answered, just free them, and then shoot down the first two or three thousand who took it seriously. Jurgen, Prince Dravanion, had no intention whatever of attempting to answer the sixty-four. My dear Lord Javasan, that is the problem of the Adityan mastership. They are your slaves. We have neither the intention nor the right to free them. But let me remind you that slavery is specifically prohibited by the Imperial Constitution. If you do not abolish it immediately, the Empire will be forced to intervene. I believe, toward the last of those audio-visuals, you saw some examples of Imperial intervention. They had. A few looked apprehensively at the ceiling, as though expecting the hell-burners and planet-busters and negamatter-bombs at any moment. Then one of the members among the benches rose. "'We don't know how we are going to do it, Prince Trevanion,' he said. "'We will do it, since this is the Empire law. But you will have to tell us how.' "'Well, the first thing will have to be an act of convocation, outlawing the ownership of one being by another. Set some definite date on which the slaves must be freed. That need not be too immediate.' Then I would suggest that you set up some agency to handle all the details, and as soon as you have enacted the abolition of slavery, which should be this afternoon, appoint a committee, say a dozen of you, to confer with Count Erskel and myself. Say you have your committee aboard the Empress Eulalie in six hours. We'll have transportation arranged by then, and let me point out, I hope for the last time, that we discuss matters directly without intermediaries. We don't want any more slaves, pardon freedmen, coming aboard to talk for you, as happened yesterday. Obrey, Count Erskel, was unhappy about it. He did not think that the Lord's Master were to be trusted to abolish slavery. He said so on the launch, returning to the ship. Jurgen, Prince Trevanion, was inclined to agree. He doubted if any of the Lord's Master he had seen were to be trusted, unassisted, to fix a broken mouse-trap. Line Commodore von Shetrak was also worried. He was wondering how long it would take for Pierre Ravney to make useful troops out of the newly surrendered slave soldiers, and where he was going to find contragravity to shift them expeditiously from trouble-spot to trouble-spot. Erskel thought he was anticipating resistance on the part of the masters, and for once he approved the use of force. Ordinarily, force was a bad thing, but this was a good cause, which justified any means. They entertained the committee from the convocation for dinner that evening. They came aboard stiffly hostile, most understandably so, under the circumstances, and Prince Trevanion exerted all his copious charm to thaw them out, 
beginning with the pre-dinner cocktails and continuing through the meal. By the time they retired for coffee and brandy to the parlor where the conference was to be held, the Lord's ex-masters were almost friendly. We've enacted the Emancipation Act, Olvir Nicolon, who was ex-officio chairman of the committee, reported. Every slave on the planet must be free before the opening of the next mid-year feasts. And when will that be? Aditya, he knew, had a 358-day year. Even if the mid-year feasts were just past, they were giving themselves very little time. In about a 150 days, Nicolon said. Good heavens! Erskyll began indignantly. I should say so myself, he put in, cutting off anything else the new proconsul might have said. You gentlemen are allowing yourself dangerously little time. A hundred and fifty days will pass quite rapidly, and you have twenty million slaves to deal with. If you start at this moment and work continuously, you'll have a little under a second apiece for each slave. The Lord's Master looked dismayed. So, he was happy to observe, did Count Erskyll. I assume you have some system of slave registration, he continued. That was safe. They had a bureaucracy, and bureaucracies tend to have registrations of practically everything. Oh, yes, of course, Rovar Javasin assured him. That's your management, isn't it, Cesar, Servile Affairs? Yes, we have complete data on every slave on the planet, Cesar Martwin, the chief of servile management, said. Of course I'd have to ask Zahors about the details. Zahors was Zahors Kahuzik, Martwin's chief slave in office. At least he was my chief slave. Now you people have taken him away from me. I don't know what I'm going to do without him. For that matter, I don't know what poor Zahorzik will do either. Have you gentlemen informed your chief slaves that they are free yet? Nikolon and Javasin looked at each other. Cesar Martwin laughed. They know, Javasin said. I must say they are much disturbed. Well, reassure them as soon as you're back at the Citadel, he told them. Tell them that while they are now free, they need not leave you, unless they so desire, that you will provide for them as before. You mean we can keep our chief slaves? somebody cried. Yes, of course. Chief freedmen, you'll have to call them now. You'll have to pay them a salary. You mean give them money? Renal Valdry, the Lord Provost Marshal, demanded incredulously. Pay our own slaves? You idiot, somebody told him. They aren't our slaves any more. That's the whole point of this discussion. But, but, uh, how can we pay slaves? One of the committeemen at large asked. Freedmen, I mean. With money. You do have money, haven't you? Of course we have. What do you think we are, savages? What kind of money? Why, money? What did he think? The unit was the star piece, the stelly. When he asked to see some of it, they were indignant. Nobody carried money. Wasn't masterly. A master never even touched the stuff. That was what slaves were for. He wanted to know how it was secured. And they didn't know what he meant. And when he tried to explain, their incomprehension deepened. It seemed that the mastership issued money to finance itself, and individual masters issued money on their personal credit, and it was handled through the mastership banks. That's Frederick Duffesan's management. Uh, he isn't here. Rovard Javasin said. I can't explain it myself. And without his chief slave, Frederick Dafasan probably would not be able to either. End of chapter 5